want to say good morning to each one. It's been a blessing to be here, and I bring greetings from Harmony this morning. I appreciated the thoughts that our brother shared on peace. I had to think, what is true peace? What does peace mean to us? And if we don't have that, why not? Whose fault is it? And I'm not sure where it says in the scriptures, the world does not basically understand that kind of peace. How can you have rest in trying circumstances in life? Do we have that peace this morning? For a message this morning, my title is Offenses Will Come. I'm going to first look at Matthew 18. Offenses Will Come. First of all, I'd like to say I hope this message will be an encouragement to young Christians and how to respond when offenses come, but also us as older that have been a Christian for a long time, that we will see the importance of not offending, that remind us of the importance of a consistent, faithful Christian walk of life. So first of all, I'll read Matthew 18, verses 1 to 11. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except you be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maim rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you, that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Then I want to turn to a parallel passage over in Luke, so you, but you might even want to keep your finger here. I'll be coming back to this. Luke 17, 1 to 4. Then said Jesus, then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck. And be cast into the sea, that, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day, turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive. So before we go on, let us pause for a word of prayer. Our Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for your many blessings you give us. Thank you for this opportunity to gather in this way. I thank you for your word. 
Lord, I just pray for each one of us here that we could hear from you. I just pray for wisdom and direction, Lord, that the words I speak would be according to your will. Lord, just lead us and guide us. I just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, the title is Offenses Will Come. It doesn't say if they come, but it says they will. So today we want to think about offending and offenses and the things that go with them. We think of, first of all, what does it mean to offend? That's my first point. The meaning to offend is to entrap, to trip up, to entice, to sin, apostasy, sorry, to entrap, to trip up, or to entice, to sin, apostasy, or displeasure, cause to stumble, or a stumbling block. That is offend and then offense. It's about the same. One thing I noticed was interesting. Originally was the name of the part of a trap to which the bait was attached. Hence the trap or snare itself. Anything that arouses prejudices or becomes a hindrance to others or causes them to fall away. So that's what the word offense, offend or offense means here that we're looking at this morning. Two, who are the little ones? It's talking about here. It talks about offending a little one. I believe it's talking about a, a young Christian, one new in the faith. And if we think about anybody that's young or new in something, they'll more likely be misled. Or if they're inexperienced, more more likely they will be caused to be misled. And a new believer. <clears throat> So, a little one, if we can understand what a little one he's referring to here. Number three, how serious is it being the one who offends? And if we look at Jesus' words here, it says, Woe unto him. Woe would mean exclamation of grief. The dictionary would say a a condition of deep suffering from misfortune, affliction, used to express regret or distress. So, it is very serious to offend. I'll just quickly turn to one verse. You don't have to turn there in Matthew 26, 24, where Jesus uses the word woe. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto this man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for him, or good for that man if he had not been born. So that's how strong words Jesus is using. If we offend a little one... If um, better if we were never born. Well, unto the one who offends a little one who believes in me, and that's here in verse six. And then I'd read it in Luke seventeen one. I had to picture this. You know, a young believer starts out and walk with the Lord, he has peace and joy in their hearts, and maybe something calls them to stumble or fall maybe even lose their way. And as I said, a young believer, it wouldn't take as much for that to happen. <clears throat> Matthew eighteen seven says, Offenses will come, but may they come from the world and not from other Christians. But sad to say, it does happen at times, but it says, Offenses will come, but may they not come from us. If we look at the seriousness of it here, what Jesus says in verse 6, Matthew 18, But, what, but whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck 
and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. And that is in all three Gospels. I didn't read um, Mark's Gospel. That part is in all three Gospels. <clears throat> and a millstone here, what I was reading, it's not referring to a domestic millstone, but a, a very large one that needed a donkey to turn this one. It was maybe three to four feet across and about a foot thick. I was just thinking, I wonder what that would weigh. That would be a very heavy millstone. And this is something we often hear quoted and said, but why did Jesus use such a dramatic illustration? I think he wanted us to see the seriousness of offending a little one or causing them to lose their way. What is he saying by a millstone about the neck and drown in the depth of the sea? I think one of the things he would be saying, it's sure death. If we put a millstone around any human's neck, it would be sure death. That thing would probably weigh hundreds of pounds if you figure a millstone about this big. So one of the things that would be sure death, Jesus loves each one who believes on him and does not want to see them stumble. And if a person is dead, they cannot keep offending or causing a little one to stumble. So it's Jesus is using a dramatic illustration, but I think it's so we see the seriousness of it. We do not want to be guilty of causing a little one to stumble or a young believer. Now, the fourth point is, who is easily or immediately offended? I thought of the parable of the sower in Matthew thirteen twenty and 21. Matthew 13, verse 20. Just breaking into here, but it talks about he that received the seed in, into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but doeth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth, because of the word, by and by he is offended. And then Mark 14, 16, and 17. I just want to point out one thing that's different there. Mark 4, 16. I'll just read the end of verse 17. Or I'll read verse 17, the whole thing. And have no root in themselves, and so endure, but for a time afterward, when affliction or persecution, persecution ariseth, for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And if you notice in Matthew, it said by and by, but I, that actually means the same thing. That by and by means immediately. So the one that is um, received the seed with joy. And another thing I want to point out is, I know there was a time I thought that stony ground meant soil with stones in it, but it actually means stones with a little bit of soil on top. So if you know anything about seed germination, the sun would lay on a, on that and it would germinate quickly because the rocks, stones would be warmer and would germinate quickly and sprout up quickly. But we know what happens if you try to grow something on a little bit of dirt on a rock. It'll sprout quickly, but it'll, it'll soon be, it'll soon die. <clears throat> so here it's saying when we have trials or tribulations come, He all that receiveth the seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and deceitfulness of riches. I'm sorry, the verse, verse 21. He that hath no root in himself, but doeth for a while, 
When tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. So, here again, that word there means offended. Same as I said earlier, offended, stumble, apostatize, or fall by the way. So what is wrong here? They received the word with gladness, and I believe that's a good thing. But I was pondering why would it quickly fall away? Was it just an emotional here? Received it. Maybe there was no counting of the cost. One commentary said they swallowed it but did not, did not digest it. I was thinking about that. That's a possibility. It was just taken in but never, didn't really ponder it. Really, what is it meaning? What does it mean to, to follow the Lord? Maybe a life of shallow Christianity, not walking with God. I think we could all ponder that a little bit and put your own things in there. What does it mean to have no root in themselves? Maybe not a personal walk with the Lord, but depending on others, I don't know. I think we could put a lot of things in there. But it says they are immediately offended. <clears throat> Number five, how may we offend? What are some stumbling blocks we may put in the path of others? I think there's so many areas, and I will not cover nearly all of them, but a few thoughts I have. Again, you picture a young believer serving the Lord. He's joyful. He has a peace and a rest. He's just, he or she is joyfully serving the Lord. He starts looking around and seeing other Christians. Maybe he sees a lukewarmness, uh, a casual living. He sees they allow other, other things to come before God in their lives. What will that do to a young Christian? They could start thinking, well, maybe it's not really necessary to be totally sold out for the Lord. I don't believe it really matters. We can live half-heartedly for the Lord. It can be confusing. And I can, as a, when I came to the Lord, I remember some of those feelings in my own life. You start thinking, yeah, you can start getting lukewarm or you can get confused by those around us. They do influence us. We can be confused. Does it really matter how if we're sold out for him? And, as I said, especially a young believer, it's very important, the influences in their lives. <clears throat> we can offend by living as though we are at home in this world. Maybe we're comfortable to be intertwined, have our lives we're intertwined with the things of this world. We're not totally sold out for the Lord. As it says in Hebrews, we should be strangers and pilgrims, not at home in this world. What all does that mean? That should cover everything in our lives. <clears throat> Maybe we are a stumbling block in a different way. Hebrews 5.12-14 to 14. <clears throat> Hebrews 5.12 For when... For the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So what are these verses saying here? I think it's saying it's fine to drink milk as long as you must, but then we should move on to meat. 
And if we as Christians stay on milk, I thought of at least three ways by these verses we could cause other Christians to stumble, especially, again, young Christians. First of all, we're a bad example for not growing, and I don't think we would want to keep feeding a baby naturally milk all its life. I don't think it would do well. And here it would say, by not growing, we cannot teach others. And the third thing is, if you look at first, verse 14, But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So if we did not, if we are not growing in the Lord, it says we, we do, not, do not exercise our senses to discern good and evil. We will stay as a, a child in our thinking. We will not be able to discern good and evil. Another way we can cause our cause others to offend can be how our homes function. I'll start out with fathers. We can cause young ones to offend by how we function, how our home functions. We can give our children a wrong view of God. It's often said a child gets their view of God by their father. Some use of a father can be distant, loving, strict disciplinarian, a policeman, a teacher, craftsman, pastor, a judge, too busy, loving but firm. If you just think of some of these are good and some are bad, I just one that stood out to me now is too busy. What if our view, if our father was too busy for us, could we start thinking God wouldn't care about things we want to come to him? He's too busy. And there's many other views a child can get of God by how the Father lives. We can offend if any of our parents are not filling our place, if respect for authority is lacking in the home, and or how, how do we respond to policemen, government officials, <clears throat> If marriage struggles can cause children to struggle also. And another one can be not plugging into or joining a church. Even worse is criticizing the church, whether we're members or not. And I I think I look back over lives of people that is criticizing the church many times not only turns them away from that church, but completely away from God. I think some of the feeling is if this is what Christianity is about, I want no part of it. <clears throat> all they saw, if all they saw was things that were negative, why would they be drawn to God and the church? If that's in a, the feelings they get, it's not something, something to be desired. <clears throat> we can also offend by lack of prayer and repentance in our own lives. Showing we're satisfied who we are, with who we are, that we're not zealous, and there are just many areas we can be offended by gossiping, lying, lacking of peace we heard about this morning, and lack of joy in our lives. There's, there's many ways we can offend. <clears throat> Point number six, what can we do so we don't offend? 
Back there in Matthew 18, just 3 to 5 again, I want to read. Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. So the first thing you can see here is to be, to humble ourselves and be converted. And the second one is to receive the little one. And the third, see offenses for what they are. Again, offense is a stumbling block, a hindrance, someone, something that causes someone to fall away, or a snare, something that entices to sin. So what should we do? If we see a snare or something, <clears throat> Matthew verses 7 to 9. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life, halt or maim, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. Pluck And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes or to be cast into hellfire. And then I want to look at it. Thinking of cutting off Mark 9 would be a read a little different. Mark 9.42 And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he were cast into the depth of the sea. And if thine hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that is that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is, be- it is better for thee to ha- enter into it is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. So first of all, we need to identify, is this an offense? What does it say in these scriptures? It says, cut them off. If we identify their offending, cut them off. Why would we not cut them off? And I think of, when we think of a snare or a trap, it's in a path of something we know it will, it will catch them or cause them to fall. I think it would seem foolish to leave a, a trap there or a snare there. Why wouldn't we do that? I had to think maybe we don't hate it enough. Would that be the reason we don't cut it off? We don't hate it enough. Maybe we kind of want it to be there so we can go back to it sometime instead of, as verses Matthew 18, 8, 9 said, cast it from thee. didn't say only cut it off, but it said cast it from thee. Isaiah fifty-seven fourteen, and shall and shall say, cast ye up, prepare the way, Take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. There it says, take it away out of the way of my people. 
Romans thirteen fourteen. You don't have to turn there. Um, another one about cutting off. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You know, I think if we don't, if we identify it as a sin or a offense, and we don't cut it off and cast it from the, I believe what we're doing is right here, it says, we're doing what it says not to do. Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Provision here would mean forethought, provident care, or supply. So again, if we don't cut it off, I think we're allowing it or making sure the ingredients are there, still there to sin. We're allowing them there and the ingredients there so we can sin if we want to. We're not removing the stumbling block. If we identify it as an offense, why would we not cut it off, remove the offense? We should always be concerned about others, thinking my life will affect others. First Peter 2.11b says, Abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. Abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. So that would just simply, I would say, avoid, stay away from anything that will go against, fight against their soul. Then I want to turn yet to First Kings, thinking of Solomon, thinking of cut, cut off anything that turned a heart away, and what God told him there. First Kings eleven, verses two to five. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had seven hundred wives, princes, and three hundred concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And then verses 9 and 10. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. And he commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but kept not but kept not that which the Lord commanded. So, what did God say here? Don't. And it said, it will surely, they will turn your heart after other gods. And that is exactly what happened. <clears throat> when God says don't, don't. That's that simple. <clears throat> Thinking more of cutting off... <clears throat> I think it's saying here we cannot make decisions based on what is convenient. It's not what is convenient or what we feel like. It's not even always economical to follow after the Lord. It's not always the most economical. But it's not convenient. It's not always going to be easy. As it talked here in the Gospels of cutting off 
when we think of it not convenient, we should try living life with one hand cut off or one eye missing or whatever. <clears throat> what it's saying, I think we need to be willing to deny ourselves some things. Are we willing to do that for the sake of the Lord? And so we don't offend one of these little ones or others even that are not little ones. And you could go many places with that. I thought of one is we're all faced with technology. It's a real thing. <clears throat> I know sometimes we've said we don't always have to have the latest in technology. And some of the reasons I think of that is when you watch others that have the latest technology, you can see how it affects their life and it gives time to analyze. Does it change their lifestyle? And I think we would have to say, I think all technology has changed our lifestyles. How far do we want to allow it to change our lifestyle? And this is one place it can become economical. The price may come down if we wait a while to acquire it. But the other thing I think is with technology or anything, once we have it, it's very hard to back up. Once we have it and we see the danger, it's very hard to deny ourselves after we're used to it. I mean, it can be as simple as a microwave. I mean, some I remember when microwaves came out. Things like that, you, you did without it, you never thought about it till once you had one, then you thought, how could you do without one? And it, but of course, now I'm thinking more, more modern technology. But it's a very real thing. Are we willing to deny ourselves for the kingdom so we don't offend? <clears throat> if we don't want to offend, we have to have our priorities right. <clears throat> and what is our priority? It's what we think we're going to do first or what we do first. I think we know it's what we actually do first. We show by what we do how we live, not by what we say is most important. All that I'm planning to, and I know this is real in my own life, all that I'm planning to, I'm going to, is not the same as doing what we actually do first. You know, we can think of, I don't know what to use as illustration, but we're going to do this and this, and then we are going to do this important thing. Then our day gets messed up, and we don't have time for it. The most important. That's a reality. But it's what we make, what is a priority is what we do first or what we make sure to happen. And if we don't want to offend, we, we will structure our life around what's important to us. <clears throat> it will show how we structure our lives. will show is God really the most important to us. We do need to personally come to the Lord that's then personally walk with him. But part of what that structuring our lives around what is important is the church I choose for my local congregation. Is that a priority in my life? We all have a choice of what congregation we feel we can serve the Lord in, and then we is, is it a priority? Am I willing to support knowing that is a great help in my own personal walk with the Lord? <clears throat> It's not just about the spiritual part of church. And I remember about two years ago, Brother John had a message at Harmony, and I don't know if I would remember this, but I had it in my notes because I would preached this about two years ago. But he said, um, family devotions is not just about being spiritual, but it's about family. I think that's a little bit in the church setting too. 
Yes, we come for the spiritual life. We come for being fed from the Lord. But it also, also shapes us. It shows our children what's important. It does a lot of things. And I believe there's something about that regularity that brings a security to children, stableness in their life, and what we shows what we believe in is important, whether it's, like I said, family devotions, coming to church. <clears throat> and we can say much to our children about how involved we are, are in our local congregation. Are we just involved or are we invested? Are we committed to the lives of our family, the church families? <clears throat> Do we structure our lives, and back to this so we don't offend a little one, are we structuring our lives to show it's important, church is important, we will not miss many services. And our children will notice how quickly we will miss a service. What are the things we will allow to miss, allow us to miss a service? And the frequency of it. Ultimately, that is showing to our children how important God is to us. Like I said, we need to personally walk with the Lord, but it's all parts of showing our children how important God is to us. Another way not to offend is, can they count on us or trust us? It's a story, a true story. There was a, a rancher lived in the lowlands of southwest Texas. The father promised his son, a young son, a fishing trip. On a set day, they traveled to the river for the anticipated adventure and arrived about mid-morning. After they did some fishing, the father noticed a storm coming. He knew how quickly the river could flood in heavy rain, so he decided to head home. They began the homeward journey, but partway home the jeep became stuck and would go no farther. Realizing the danger and knowing he would need he would need to walk several miles for help, the father instructed his son to stay inside the jeep. After being gone for some time, the father approached the jeep with trembling hands and pounding heart. <clears throat> would his son still be there? When he entered the vehicle, he was delighted to find his son sound asleep in the back seat. Son, weren't, weren't you worried? cried the father. The son looked innocently at his father and in all his sincerity replied, Dad, I was counting on you. And I thought he, he was counting on his dad. He knew he could. But can our children count on us to be trustworthy at what we say? That we, they know that we have our best in mind, their best in mind. Do they trust us? <clears throat> Are we being vigilant and are they knowing we are protecting them physically, spiritually? Can they trust us? Number seven, how to respond when offenses come. Luke 17, 3 and 4. I'll read over that quickly again. Because it says offenses will come. Take heed to yourselves if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. So I guess I think especially to a young Christian, people will fail you. Other humans will make mistakes. Maybe there's people you really respect and appreciate. And they seem very godly. And that's another thing I can relate to 
There was people in my life you you thought highly of, and many times till you learned to know them better, you saw an inconsistency or a failure, and it, it's disappointing, and it can be something to deal with. But everybody's human. People will make mistakes. We all have faults. So my thing to you, especially young Christian, would be follow them as they follow Christ. There is nobody's perfect. We need to also remember when offenses come, or stumbling blocks, we can call them, they can help mold or shape our character. It depends what we do with them. They can make us a better Christian if we allow it. We can learn to forgive. What is forgiveness? We can learn to forgive, but what is that? We forgive when we cease to feel resentment against someone who hurts us or wrongs us. And there we need to be sure it's an actual wrong or hurt against us, not just an imagined one. There's some times we can do that. Forgiveness is not just saying, I forgive you, but it means having a good attitude toward an offender. And this may, may take time, and it does not act necessarily mean we will forget. Yes, maybe we'll think about it less, but... We, can we think of that about them in a in a positive way? And of course, Jesus is the highest example of this. As he was being crucified. He said, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." And also think of Stephen. He prayed, "Lord, lay not this sin to their charge." And we know that an unforgiving spirit is a terrible thing. And it will keep us out of heaven. I think I'll quickly read part of Matthew 18 and closing up. 18, 23 to 35. When we think of forgiving or not forgiving. Matthew 18, 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that allest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that he what he was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then the Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And the Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from our hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. So, I think we can see, I don't think I need to say much more about that, we can see the seriousness if we don't forgive. It'll affect how Jesus looks at us if we don't forgive. And I think it would help us to think of how much Jesus forgave. 
when we think of when somebody wrongs us so we can forgive. <clears throat> In closing, offenses will come, but may I not be the cause. If I cause a new believer an offense, if it was better if I was, sorry, if I cause a new believer to offend or to fall away to sin, it was better if I was dead. Flee situations that may cause us to be offended or stumble. Are my roots so deep I'm not easily offended? Can I use offenses or stumbling blocks to grow or do I allow them to make me sin or fall? Can I forgive those who offend me? So as I said, I didn't come thinking there was a lack, but may it be an encouragement to each one of us young believers that we will face things in life it might be hard to know how to deal with. Offenses will come. And as those older ones, may we be careful how we live our lives so we do not offend little ones or anyone else. May God go with you and bless you.